Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California, and Marina and Alameda. Did I, and is that it? Yeah, those all those places. Pretty much. And and another location to uh, be determined we are later. All in the U.S. of A, darling. We mm. are. Hey, happy Fourth of July weekend, everyone. I hope you guys had some fun. It happy was, America. It was uh, it was different this year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I know. At least out here in California, almost all of the fireworks shows were canceled. However, not, nothing not in my neighborhood. Nothing new here because <laughs> in Santa yeah. Cruz, fireworks are illegal, and we don't have a fireworks show. Our Fourth of July is in October. And I know our Fourth of July was last night. We're downtown. Yeah, it was I know. All over down town. here last night. Hey, it was like the loudest I'd heard in a while. Yeah, and it was. It was a noise show. I would like um, to add something, if I may. Is no, uh, you're British. We beat you. This is Fourth of yes, July episode. No, you did. You're not <laughs> but um, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to ever think that the friendships in the Misfits are something that we affect for the show. I actually spent the 4th of July with Jim and Liza and Jim's lovely girlfriend, and I had a wonderful time. We were at a very charming garden party, and um, barbecue pork and crab legs, which I didn't indulge in, and booze. More for me. And yes. it was, yeah, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful time. Yeah, so, so we are actually, actually we are, we are all friends. We don't put it on for the benefits of our listeners. <laughs> I know I felt a bit of a scoff law having a get together, but your rager the rager party across the street made me feel better about our no, little, we, little no, garden party. I mean, we were smart. We were smart about it. We maintained our distance. We did. Well, we were outside, and the garden was the uh, old converted flat track from the Taintmas party a couple of years ago oh, but yeah. true, true. Uh, memories. there was a lot of ways it was different and um a couple of them so one of our traditions on fourth of july is to go to uh hollister to go dirt biking and to go yeah. to uh corbin for mm-hmm. the hollister uh rally uh, yeah, because no. they have the big Hollister rally in town, but at Mike Corbin's shop, it's like a smaller version of it contained. But he usually has stunt riders and vendors and food and all the things. Well, it, it was it was weird. It was weird. Um, did you end up going? I did all those things and and did not stay at any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll share. So Jim and I went dirt biking, <clears throat> as we do. And Jim, things were different this time, weren't they? For yeah, a bunch of different reasons. Um, yeah, we know that. Yeah, a few different reasons. They had already limited the parking since the COVID came in, um, so it was probably half the cars that would be there normally. And it's always quiet on Fourth of July. Although I always panic. I'm like, Liza, we got to get there early. Like, no one's ever there. <laughs> Every time. So we got there mid morning, and not, hardly anyone was there. Um, but yeah, you have to. You know, they they limit the numbers. There's the parking spaces are marked out in like in the dirt lots and the camping areas. But I swear to God, we were ready to turn around in the first 30 seconds we pulled in the lot. Why? Fucking quads, dude. We, we saw Children. Like 30 quads. Children and quads. <laughs> 
and more quads and more children. Here's the thing. But, One of the things I love when we go to Hollister is seeing families there, seeing young people being exposed to dirt biking, which, you know, will be create bikers. A lot of them will. But yeah. that's usually you have a family and you're they're being you know, taught the rules and the road and all this stuff. This was not it because a lot of families showed up with their kids and quads and just let them go loose. And it was like, it was a a complete (laughs) shit show. Um, Which again, I feel bad when it's families, but like even just in the parking lot, they kept forming clusters in the middle of the road and doing like dusty you know tire spins and like you you couldn't even just get through the drive in the parking lot without having to like encounter children and dust i I wonder how much of that is just from being pent up for three months inside you know quads are fucktards dude they just always are there's just more of them now for whatever right there were there were now now they've been pent up for three months that's that's what there were more (laughs) children on quads there than there were adults on dirt bikes that i saw Oh, that's why it was like I saw like at least like thirty quads. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, Maybe the no parents figure, the quad. Yeah, if they hurt yeah. themselves, then they'll stay still longer when they're in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but I think you know the opposite kind of because, like with dirt bikes, you know, you crash and eat shit, and it hurts, and you learn from that. So I think kids that ride dirt bikes, there's a discipline involved, right? Um, where any any idiot can get on a quad and do donuts and kick up a dust storm. You know, like, that's rad. I equate it to giving a young child like uh, their first like twenty two rifle and teaching them the code of gun safety mm-hmm. and and maintenance versus giving a kid a BB gun and just letting him go loose in the neighborhood. Yeah, possibly go wrong. Right? Uh, recipe for disaster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so right away we were like, it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It did suck the fun out of it. But what we also decided to park, we normally park in the day lot where people don't loiter so much as people just go ride and then bounce. So we decided to park in the shade in the camping areas because there were such less people. And we pulled, oh, this is so we found a spot, all these families around. We didn't think it was going to be that bad, but it ended up being just like, like chaos central it, it was still funny but after a while it just gets what gets old is when you know kids do a U- u-turn in front of you and things like that which happen so that takes the fun out of it real fast when you almost t-bone a little kid yeah you know doing 15 or 20 yeah, the situational hour. awareness isn't there it's kind of like putting a dog on a quad right they're like <laughs> <laughs> no a dog would be better i would prefer a dog <laughs> right <laughs> at least you could throw a stick and they'll follow um <laughs> Yeah, and then we set off on to the trails, and right away, right away, I was not having fun. Um, And that was because it was dry. It was um, really soft, like sand and dirt in a lot of places. Um, And my little bike my i took the little 250 i just didn't feel comfortable it felt like i was riding on a on flat tires it kept kind of tracking left and right and i'm talking about the front wheel it like it wasn't good dirt you know after like like three days after a rain you have good dirt it's sticky and you can slide it around but you get quick traction this was not it it was just all loose and dry and yeah definitely not Definitely not the chocolate cake you get in the wintertime. But, yeah, it was like hard-packed dirt, and then there'll be, like, loose sand on top of hard-packed dirt, and then, you know, dry ruts, and shit. just typical. But it's getting ridden so much this time of year. It's A lot of the stuff's cratered. So you'll come into a series of nice, you know, nice smooth whoops or little jumps, 
it's not like I really jump. You get a little bit of air, and it's like woohoo. Except on those, you, you go off the top, and then there's just a massive crater in the bottom. You know, just <laughs> literally like a like a rectangular coffin. Mm. Um, which, and, I, and if you're a better writer, it's it's not a big deal. But I suck, so it is a bigger deal. But um, yeah, it was just it was just dry, and I don't know. It was just so weird. We had to we, go weird vibe. We got like to the beginning, like we rode up to go ride a trail, and we get to there, and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I don't like well, the dirt. Realized, I don't like the quads. I don't like my bike. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Well, that bike, I, I think we figured it out. You know, you like the heavier bikes that more are more like tractors. You know, the yeah. 250 is a lighter, squirrely, squirrely bike. And, you know, tires are at 15 pounds. But you do most of your riding sitting down. And when we get into the loose stuff, you just can't sit down. So I hopped on your bike, too. And we have the same bike, more or less. But I had a, I've upgraded the suspension, so and the, it's taller from that. The same tires. Yeah, same tires. Um, uh, and then, you know, I had the bar risers with rental mm -hmm. fat bars that also gave a little bit. So my bike is a lot taller than yours. And I noticed when I got on yours, it was smaller, so you're more compacted. It's harder to get your elbows up. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just small. And, and especially sitting down, it's just that's it's a tough way to get to ride. So. You know, dirt biking has gotten me used to the rear wheel moving around, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with the front wheel moving around. And that's what was happening. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the reason is, is you're, you're sitting down a lot of the time. Right. And a lot of the, when, when we're in the loose stuff, whether it's rocks or sand or gravel or whatever, you know, you got to get up and you got to, you know, up on the, up on the pegs and your weight back a little bit and take the, take the front wheel out of place. Right. Yeah. Are you able to shift your weight back more to take, take more weight off the front wheel? I could, but I was actually, I think I was riding up front because you you know that's how you're taught to ride up on the seat, so you do have traction on the mm -hmm. front wheel. And, and plus, Lysor has got terrible knees, so you're not right. going to spend much of your time standing up anyway. Yeah, I can't. Of, so I yeah, just right. I right away I'm like, you know what, I'm done. But that's okay because Jim, you go ahead and keep riding. You do your thing. You're used to riding by yourself. I said I'm going to go ride my bike because it's plated. I'm going to go ride across town over to Corbin for the for the you know the festival. Um, so here's the deal. So the Hollister Rally, which has been going on for decades, right? Yeah, um, big deal. They announced this year because of COVID that it would be canceled. <clears throat> but then Mike Corbin said, "But don't worry because." We're not canceling. We're still going to be doing our thing. Right. Come on out to the Corbin factory, right? And that was the last conversation <clears throat> I had with him maybe a month ago. Right. So um, so I head on over there thinking it's it's going to be crowds, which I was a bit uncomfortable with. Jim had said he had no interest in going. But I said, I really want to see what events look like from here on. Like, I want to know how this works and what it's like and can it can i have fun or am i just gonna right. feel like Ooh, the whole time you know um so i went i rode over there and i was surprised to see no tents no nothing about 20 bikes parked out in front which is what you might find on any saturday when you go there uh i know we've talked about the corman factory quite a lot uh it's big and it has a 50s diner so it's got a restaurant so it'd be it's a destination for a lot of rides that's stop wizard's cafe to the you, cafe and bike yeah. uh, mike has a bunch of uh bikes in his showroom so it's um it's a cool place just to stop in it's not just you know a factory um the wizard's workshop yeah exactly so um 
but I did when I pulled up. I found some of uh, my friends, R1 Rich, and his gang was there, and they were all standing around looking confused too. Oh, R1 Rich was on his brand new R1, which looks exactly like his last R1. <laughs> he loves you know. His new if you R1s. go by the name of R1 Rich and you ride around on a Kawasaki, that yeah, would be kind of not a bright thing, wouldn't it? I know. So I'm glad he got another R1. Yes. Um, and they were all looking confused, too, because they had planned a group ride out there. So um, I went in, and the, the cafe was open, and, and there were people in there getting seats made. And then I saw Mike. He was talking to somebody in the showroom, and he saw me, and he waved and um, talked to him, and... Uh, kind of got the scoop. I believe uh, he intended to have everything, but the city put the kibosh on that. I think they wouldn't give any permits for any of that. Wow. So he just was open for business like he would be on any weekend. That's all he could do. Because he's yeah, it's already. Also just, just, you know, it's also a huge financial burden on the city to pull all the security and police and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably more than, than just the COVID. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, a big deal for all of us. It'd be the easiest thing for everyone to jump on the bandwagon and go, oh, boo, you know, Hollister City government, blah, blah, blah. But it costs them a great deal of money to, to put on the rally. And I think they've lost a lot of money every year doing it. No, but I'm talking, but not at Mike Corbin. I mean, that's his uh, private well, event, that's his private thing. Right, but yeah, it's, but it's also that that you know the city's I, got. I think it was the COVID safety. They didn't want to have no no large gatherings. I got no problem with that. So the fact that he was still open was very nice, and I think he was disappointed because he wanted to have something too. He was there. He had his mask on. Everyone had their masks on. Um, half of the booths in the cafe were you know closed off. Um, the workers were making seats, uh, but he took me into his R&D department to show me some cool stuff that they're working on. And oh, yeah. yeah, he showed me his uh, 2020 Triumph Rocket 3. Hey, Jim, mm. you're making a lot of racket, just so you know. Thank you. Oh, sorry. I thought I had my microphone muted. Yes, I'll mute it now. Thank you. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm putting, um, sprocket, I'm putting new sprockets. I know. On the I know. You'd love to work while we're doing this. Sprock away, yes. It's like two hours. I could do a lot of shit in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had his brand new Triumph Rocket Three. I am. I showed you pictures of the bike. It's, oh, it's a good-looking bike. It's, oh, it's um, crushingly handsome. I'm going to say it's in the same family as the Vmax and the Diavel. Mm. So a power cruiser. Nice. I think if it was a man. It could easily beat up Chuck Norris with a British accent. <laughs> easily. It's that thought, kind of bite. I thought, Emma, you had a nice comment about it looking like a locomotive. Well, you know, when bikes get to a certain size and a certain stature, there's, there's, there's a certain locomotive element about them. And that yes. Rocket 3, if you look at the back shaft drive, it looks like it's off a frigging train. <laughs> and it's probably the same scale as on a train as well. I mean, they're big bikes. They've been big bikes for like 25, 30 years, you know. Jeez. But Wow. They're big. Yeah. And so he showed me his custom no, seat he made for the it. The other picture, Liza. The other picture. 
That one? Yeah, look at that back end. Oh yeah, it's got That's like a right. the the it looks like a 250 rear wheel. Yeah. Um it's big. But he um they you know made a Corbin seat for it now he's making um bags for it which are really cool because he's got all these different contours so it actually matches contours on the tank and we'll paint up like the tank to match. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Um and then you know what I didn't get? Oh, it's not in the picture. There was an Africa twin there with a beautiful red, silver, and blue seat. Oh, I think I have to go get one now. Mm. And it matches matched my color scheme. But nice. you know, um, Corbin have always done this. They, if you get color matched Corbin saddlebags, particularly on the cruisers, they he absolutely nails the lines of the bike, oh, yeah. and the colors perfect every time it looks like it came with the bike right the, what, they, Except, what they designed. in a lot of ways it, it's heavier quality than the oem stuff well and that's why i mean at the corvin factory people know them for the seats but they do some of the best um uh, fiberglass uh, molds and all that right right they're some and of the best it's super heavy stuff i mm -hmm. mean you could throw a Corbin equipped bike down the road. I don't think you'd, you could probably grind away some of the saddlebag, but you're not going to smash it. There's nice features too. You can get the heated seat, the cooled seat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And based on the whole custom thing, right? They basically have two guys that make every seat and they've done it for probably 20 or 30 or 40 years. Right. Yeah. That green commando I built for the museum, the seat was actually custom made to my butt. And the problem is, I've lost about 20 pounds since then, so it doesn't fit me anymore. <laughs> it's for a fast Emma, and I'm a thin Emma you know, now. One of the things, I don't know if we've ever mentioned about it, when you go there and you go to where all the sewing machines are, and um, they have plaques on the wall for years of service, I don't think there's one less than 20 years. Oh, and there's yeah. a bunch at like 30 plus. It's amazing. And the girls yeah, people are great. Because you go in there, and the girls are all made up to the nines, and they got like giant hoop earrings on, and lots of jewelry, and they're all like, "Hey, it's good to see you. It's great. It's it's a neat scene there." It is. It yeah. is, but again, it wasn't the same. It was something missing, yeah. and it's just another you know casualty of COVID. I'll say. <clears throat> yep. Um. So it was nice to just go there and, and talk to Mike about, and we talked about the industry and stuff like that. They're, they're doing great, by the way. He's doing great with seat sales. <clears throat> nice. Um, but so that was two, two things that just like, uh, that we do every year. I'm like, mm, I just want things to go back to normal, but I don't know. Will they ever? I don't know. What do you guys think? That's the question. Well, they'll, yeah. they'll come into a new normal. You know, it's it's we're in an inter interstitial stage right now where the old normal is no longer no longer applies, and we're trying to just get by with what we're doing right now, just to you know stay safe. Yeah, I I mean I'm I'm being very optimistic about it. I think when we're finally through this, it's going to be absolutely brilliant because people are going to have. A slightly new perspective, and hopefully they've figured out what's important. And in a lot of cases, you know, just chasing money isn't as important <clears throat> as doing fun things like hanging out with people you like and riding, like riding friggin' motorbikes. I'm hoping that, <clears throat> you know, by us um, giving up so much and sacrificing so much 
you know, um, to try and be safe because of COVID, that when we do get through the other side, we can make up for it. Like maybe AMA Vintage Days will be naked and have free beer. Oh, yeah. Like, wouldn't like that be cool? All nude free beer? Woo! Yeah. We will maybe. more than make up for it. Can can you make for the it unsee two- button? Unsee, unsee. <laughs> or, or what about make it two weeks long just to make up for? Ah, oh, dude, man. <laughs> I like that. I do, Jim. Would you get it? I was thinking about your whole bent toward ADV bikes and Jim and, and Liza, which you were talking about last weekend. And then, you know, there's your physical distancing, which you're going yeah. out doing something away from a screen, having fun, even though it's not with <clears> big <throat> bunches of people. Yeah, you know, the only, and I think you're right, Scott, and the only concern you have to keep in mind, because that's what they'll tell you when you go to remote areas, is mm-hmm. they have very limited resources. So if you do have an accident, you know, or have a bad day, Absolutely. Um, you, could, you could really be, you know, not not have medical help really available. So just something mm-hmm. to keep in mind. But yeah, I, I think I agree. Great social distancing. So, and as I said, um, one of the things that I just didn't enjoy, I just didn't feel comfortable on that bike in that um that dry terrain and because we're about to set out and go do this epic trip and ride in places like utah (laughs) where we could expect that same terrain i decided i'm going to take the klr instead on the trip um Mm -hmm. i think i'll just be more comfortable but it did get me thinking and jim is the one like right away he's like you need to sell that bike the 250 well yeah i'll 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 tell you when there was a defining moment we just come out we just took some whatever the one of the easy trails up and made a u-turn and basically came back down (laughs) and it was a downhill downhill with just some gentle whoops as you get down then a a a right hand kind of u-turn down in some more sandy stuff yeah and i thought you were about to duck walk down i looked at you and you were (laughs) super tight your asshole was whistling dixie like i (laughs) terrified I was like, oh, my God, she needs to get rid of that bike. She is not. I know when you're riding well in the dirt, you, you don't enjoy it. You're you go into that weird trancey state. And um, and when you're not riding well in the dirt, you just it just didn't look fun. So I, I don't mean to pick on you, but no, I you know. Know, that's not fun. Being fucking scared sucks, you know, and it's um, and that's why I don't do some stuff. too. I so just let, let, yeah, let's yeah. put it. Let's put it out there, Eliza. You're going to ditch the CRS. So this is something I'm starting to think about now that if I ditch the CRF, so my plan was to have three off-road bikes, the big one, the Africa yes. Twin, the medium, the KLR, yes. and then the small one to do like dirt biking at Hollister, that kind of stuff. But I just, it feels like the bike is too small on me. I, I sold you that bike. Yeah. I'm crushed. Uh, if you Mama get bear, rid of it. Bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but if you get rid of it, I'll be crushed. No, you won't. So I think you should get I'm, rid of it. Um, <laughs> so it's like abandoning an adopted child, Liza. I do. Yeah, I like, sold the Triumph she worked on, and she didn't break her heart. So there you go. Maybe okay. I do. No, well, maybe it did, Scott. Maybe it did. Sorry. I just wear it well. You do. I do like a bit heavier bike that feels more stable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know what I will say, Liza? Yeah. Is um we last one of the times we went to Hollister, you rode the KLR six fifty. And one of the areas we enjoy, we call it the little playground. So mm-hmm. it's just like drainage, ditch, you know, little drop-offs and through a creek and over logs. And we like to play in there. It's first gear, kind of just tractoring around. You were totally comfortable doing that on the on that bike. And your tires were pretty much bald. Like I know. Tires, but you were like, like you were totally comfortable having a good time. You were laughing, um, totally having a good time. But, and same on the Africa <clears throat> Twin. 
the African Twin is just a, it's just a lot more motorcycle. But the 250, I think it, a ergonomically, it's definitely too small for you. And then B, I just don't think it's fun, you know. So I don't, you know, get rid of it. And so some bikes that came to mind that I have ridden. So I used to have the DRZ that I sold because it wasn't a plated bike, and that's why I replaced it with the 250. So maybe a DRZ 400S plated bike. Um, or um, I have ridden the 690 Enduro, the KTM 690 Enduro, and it still feels like a dirt bike. It's just a little bit bigger scale. So that's a possibility. Well, now, hang on a minute. You buy the, the DRC 400S? Yeah. And what would you do, put 17-inch knobbies on it? D- no, not super, not SM, S. Oh, not the, not the Motard. Just no, the, the plated, yeah. Okay, with the pumper carb and the yeah. yeah. It's mean, the I same thing as that. what I had. It's just uh, yeah. You just have plated. the option to put plates on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't know. I just think the bikes that I. But see, I don't want to judge a bike because it was good terrain. Like my XR two fifty R, my XR three fifty R. I rode great. They were just mules, you know. But um, I, everyone kept telling me, and which. It should apply to almost everyone. A smaller, lighter, more maneuverable, flickable bike is what you really want. But that doesn't work for me. For most people, it does. You want your dirt bike as light as possible so you can get out of situations. But I don't like it. (laughs) Have you been on the the BMW F bikes with the GS there? No, I wouldn't get an F bike. It's not dirt bike enough. I mean, I already got the KLR and an Africa Twin. It, it kind of plays in the same space, but it's yeah. probably in the middle of the road of weight available that way. But. Mm, yeah, no. And the the F650 is actually small for me, too. Well, they've got that eight, uh, F800 or 850GS. Yeah, that's, somebody on a, that's midsize. Keep it yeah. small, mm-hmm. narrow bike to yeah. go to Hollister or to do small stuff. No, I, I think you're on the right track with a KTM, actually. Because, I mean, it'll be yeah. gnarly enough. Um you know, those things have got gnarly power. So, oh, I know. I mean, that's a beast. That 690 is a beast of a motorcycle. And I, I mean, why where, why would you ride what? that and not ride the KLR 650? Like, why would, what would be the oh, two, scenario? Two different bikes. Well, I, I yeah, get they're that, different but bikes, but I think you'd get enough of a thrill off a 450 KTM. Maybe, but I've ridden. Uh, the point is, yeah, I've know, ridden off road yeah, on yeah, the yeah. 690, and I've ridden the DRZ off road. So these are two bikes that are contenders because I've ridden them and felt comfortable. Yes. Um, <clears throat> whereas the EX350 felt really squirrely, but the 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 K the 690 Enduro didn't. So I don't you know. Should ride a 450. You should ride one of the 450s or the fives. Because, you know, that's a good compromise. Because the 690, as as different as it is from the KLR, you've still got two larger bikes there. What? Which 450? Which 500? Uh, the KTMs. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, you should try them. Because they make good power. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah, I want to I wanna try some different bikes. But, um okay. So we'll see, but that's why, like, I like that little, I like that little, I want to love, I want to love the CRF. As Jim and I said, you know, we talked about, you know, when we got the the CRF, and it's an underpowered kind of blah bike, but 
it will start every time and you cannot kill it. And that was the thing, Jim, we were talking about, you know, having a kickstart only bike, not doing that again. I got to have a starter, having something that's not always reliable, not doing that again. I wanted something that was going to start every time. Um, so yeah, that's and, what these bikes are good for. Yeah. And you know, and the, one of the, the differences between mine and yours is, you know, I put a bunch of money into it, right. Cause it is underpowered under suspension, all that. Um, you know, so I did, you know, do the, the front suspension, new, new spring on the rear, um, you know, and just the suspension upgrades alone made a huge difference. And then, like I said, the bar risers and the different bars. So it's a much taller bike made it a lot more a lot easier to ride you know not as compact but yeah it's a you know but stock it's it's a it's a great trail bike for someone that's 180 or 80 pounds but for you and i you know stock we crush the suspension yeah you know it's a little underpowered it is underpowered i mean it's 300 pounds and makes like you know 16 or 17 horsepower so you know, versus KTM that's, you know, 230 and makes 40 plus horsepower. Everything I learned at Jocelyn's went out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, everything at Jocelyn's, for the most part, was on hard dirt, you know, basically. Most of it, anyway. Yeah, yeah. and I was completely comfortable on that Africa Twin, cutting that rear wheel loose and sliding it around. But again, it's when that front wheel, you know that feeling when you have a flat tire and you feel it kind of tracking side to side? I was mm-hmm. like... I stopped and I'm like, do I have a flat? But it was just, it was finding just the little divots and ruts and just going in them or the soft sand. I don't know. Yeah, so, the other thing is you just can't ride in sand sitting down. So, yeah. So we'll see. But um, speaking of other bikes, Emma and I worked on the KZ400 today. Y'all. Thank you again for your help. It's always nice to have her there. She's so, like, able to, like, just pinpoint something very quickly though i did discover something about emma today oh yes she has no patience whatsoever that's not true she wanted to see that bike run today and it was just like let's go just (laughs) put it together you know she's like (laughs) i'm like hold on hold on I'll, no, I don't. Talk let like me that do it. Browser. Let me do it. I go blah 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 blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. She no, just wanted no, to no, 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 get no, into wait, it. You, you you just back off there, sis, because yeah. you can't in one sentence say she's very focused yeah. and then say she's got no patience because the two are inextricably linked. I mean, the goal. It's called keeping your eye on the prize, darling. And the prize was hearing that thing run. <clears throat> I don't want me to hear you it. You were run. more excited about that than I was. I am in this for the long haul, and I wanted to take my time. And, you know, we realized that the uh, pet cock was n- not passing any gas through it. So it was gummed up. So <laughs> you were like, hey, just you wanted to like nice crack it apart. And, nah, nah, nah. and I'm like, no, no, let me do it. And I wanted to take every single thing apart and clean it. And I just. I'm in it for the long haul. I just want to take my time and do it right. Yes. And you just wanted to get that shit started. (laughs) I want to hear it. (laughs) Are you going to share? Are you going to share what color you're going to paint it yet? Pooh brown. Yeah, you've gone for the poo brown, haven't you? You have gone for the poo brown. Um, You mean root beer? So no, Jim, we didn't. We didn't start it because um, (laughs) in rebuilding the pet cock, um, the rubber was in such bad condition it just is leaking. It crumbled. crumbled, Yeah, I have to. I have to do a pet cock rebuild. I just. I just ordered a new one. Like I crumbled when Scott sold that Triumph. (laughs) 
It was that corruptly. See, Scott, she got you. <laughs> no, so I gotta. I'm gonna be patient. Just put a new pet cock in. Um... So no, what you should do right now is is do a reader survey. Do metallic red. So with yeah, the golden black pinstripe. So all right. So here's the the goal with this bike. Um, because it's almost all stock, save mm -hmm. for the Mac pipes, which are early 80s period. period. The period. Um, I've already replaced all the other uh, non-stock stuff like the seat. Um, so th what's left to do is to pick the paint scheme. And I want to, I'm not making a concourse show bike, but I want yeah. a, a show bike. If we still had shows like we used to, like the you know, Capitola bike show, that kind of stuff where you just get a bunch of old men standing around saying, oh, I used to have one. That's, <laughs> that's how I want this restored. Hey. Yeah. The gas station crowd bike. That's what I, this will be. I used to ride one of them before I started yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had one back in 72. That's funny because they didn't come out till 74. But okay. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not as good as it used to be. You know. So I do. So I have been all the parts I've been buying. You guys would be proud. I have been stock. buying new old stock. Even though a lot of this stuff is on Banggood. Um, and I'm paying, <laughs> like, I got a new headlight bucket, new old stock. Um, just, yeah, I've been buying the more expensive good stuff. Nice. So, to choose the paint, to repaint it, um, I want to go with what it would have come in that year. And Emma looked it up, and we have two choices. Emma, you want to well, say what they but I'm drawn Wait, to you didn't tell me the other choices. No, there's more choices, but mm. I'm, I'm not interested in them. <laughs> Emma, what are my other choices? Blue. Oh, wait. What, what color know. blue? What do they call the blue? Well, not dissimilar to your BMW <laughs> that's behind you. Okay. Yeah. But um, so you've got blue with black and gold graphics, cherry red, pearl with blue or gold graphics, or <clears throat> poo brown with lime green called. stripes. Oh, poo oh, brown with lime green lime stripes. Lime green. Oh, no. No, just don't. You just stop, Bagel, because poo brown with lime green stripes is the best paint scheme by oh. far. And, and Liza has, is actually gravitating towards poo brown right now. And this is a solid brown, not a metallic brown? It's That's... Poo brown. Where I'm like, it has poo to brown. be sparkly. It has to be sparkly. Because poo is not sparkly. I don't <laughs> know what you've been eating, darling. Have you not seen a unicorn poo? Well, no, I have not. But okay. this is not, but unicorn poo is not no. brown. Um, so, but Emma poo did. With Emma, lime green pinstripes. It's brilliant. Emma did um, make the point when it's not a concourse bike. A concourse bike has to be everything Perfect. exactly Including your, your bare frame right. restoration then you don't want to go bare frame i think she right? said right. that um you have the freedom to get a similar color that's more appealing mm -hmm. and and it still is is good you know and i mean there there are parameters so i'll give you a couple of examples <clears throat> if your bike was blue and you paint it teal Right. You're not going to get away with it. Right. But if you your bike was like a cherry red and you paint it kind of like a scarlety red, you're going to get away with that. Mm -hmm. So I am going to show you on the camera the poo brown. 
and everyone is going to agree that he's the best paint scheme by far. That blue I put on the Beamer, that's just close to something they've got on similar bikes. And it's just, you know, I picked it out in San Leandro color, and the guy's like, that's a really expensive blue. So that's probably what they call it. I'm just calling it expensive blue. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> I decided not to choose my paint color because it costs less. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Yes. Ready. Are we ready? Okay. Pooh Brown with lime green pinstripes. Now, That's nice. That is not brown. That is more of like a... No, it's Pooh Brown. It's no, that's like poo eating beets. With lime green and gold pinstripe. And I think that's the best paint scheme. <clears throat> hmm. Interesting. It's like a burnt orange. No, yeah. it's not a burnt orange. Ooh, can it be burnt What do they call it? Yeah. What's Honda call that color? Or oh, call oh, that color? hang on. I found another color. Oh, oh. I, know, I found Ooh. another picture. See, look, it's poo brown. <laughs> hmm. What does Kawi call the color? They always have a name for the color. Pooh brown. Root beer poo. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> Vindaloo. <laughs> Vindaloo poo. And so the other. So hang on. Vindaloo poo. We're, we're not done with this yet. So we're going to explore. I'm going to show you the blue laser. Just and remember I, that for anyone listening to the podcast, this is not riveting at all. Well, no. Clearly. I don't. Well, they can imagine these colors in their mind, I'm sure. Um, so the other nice thing in these different bikes she's showing, they do have different uh, graphics on them, different uh, stripe stick, sticker kits. So she has found a sticker kit so I can make it look as close to and stock as possible. Is, this is the key because you can you can take all kinds of leeway, you know, and all kinds of liberties with the color. Um, but you really need to put the OEM graphics on it to get the, the, the right. complete effect. So there's the blue, which is quite appealing. Mm, that is nice. And you can see it's got Ooh. a broad black stripe on the top I and a gold like on the, the bottom. Blue. But I think if you don't paint it brown, you're missing out. Well, I think that, that burnt orange looks the nicest with the green stripe. Blue brown. Well, there you go. I, we'll see. I will continue talking about it. But going back to it being 4th of July, um, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about uh, this weekend, it really got me thinking about the all-American motorcycle family. Can you yes. guys name, like, if you think of, like, the, the Davidsons, right? That would be all-American motorcycle family. Uh, can you think of any other? The Knievels. The Knievels, yeah, exactly. Where you have generations who've contributed and made their mark. But there's another family that's made a huge mark on motorcycling in America that we know today. And I wanted to talk about the Pentons. Oh, yeah. Now, you may not have heard of the Pentons, but you're about to learn about why they're so amazing. You got, uh, let's see, you got John, Jeff, Jack, Tom. Well, just before, John is the really the patriarch. Well, we're although his dad was a motorbike. We're going to get into him, but to talk about it, I thought we'd bring someone on who knows a lot about the Pentons. That'd be good. And so, joining us, we've got Todd Huffman. Hey, Todd, how you doing? What's up, kids? How hey. Are you? hey, nice hey. to meet you, hey. Todd. What's happening, Todd? <laughs> Welcome. So, Thank you. Todd, uh, you're the Director, producer, are you also the writer? 
writer, fundraiser. <laughs> you you made a film. You made a film called yeah. Penton, the John Penton story. And um, this is something that I actually, I don't know where I got it, but I have a copy of it. And I watched it. I loved it because this was a story I didn't know. And I couldn't believe how much of John Penton's story related to writing as I know today. And then I shared it with with Jim because I'm like, oh my God, this is such yeah, an amazing story. A, when you started going through like must-see mo motorcycle movies, it's like on any Sunday, hitting the apex and the John Penton story. Right. So um, I reached out to Todd because I remembered that film and I said, hey, Todd, I would love to have you submit your film for uh, the film festival I'm putting together, the Black Hills Moto Film Festival. And Todd, you said yes, and I am so happy. So it is something that is going to be in the uh, Black Hills Moto Film Festival, which, just a reminder, August 14th through 16th. Go to revsisters.com and get your free tickets uh, because we're, we're only going to have these films up for one weekend for you to see. Um, but, Todd, I wanted to thank you. And I let's uh, let's get into the John Penton story and, sure. and, and tell everyone why they're so amazing. I guess the first question is, how did you choose john penton and the penton family to do a movie on well i like to easiest way me, for me to describe john penton to people is you know he's like the forrest gump of dirt bikes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i'd call him that <laughs> well, you, i'm sure you can get away with it i don't think I, i'd refer to him that well, and the only reason i can. say that is because it seemed like he was around anything of importance that happened yeah oh how funny yeah totally you know, I mean, his, his, uh, he touched just about every facet of it. And, uh, I had, uh, produced a series of TV episodes called a show called the motocross files. Yes. Uh, for, for the, uh, the speed channel. And so we were shooting these dirt bike documentaries about these motocross guys. And I had grown up as a, just a dirt bike kid in the seventies up in Northern California, um, and knew of the Pentons and, uh, Carl Crank, who uh, was a famous Penton team rider, uh, who lived up near 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 me, and so we would read about the Pentons in the you know magazines and, oh, yeah. and cycle news and everything. So I knew who the Pentons were, and uh, but I picked up on the way to the Indy trade show. I think it was like an '05 or '06. I'd gotten a copy of Ed Youngblood's book, uh, John Penton and the Off Road Motorcycle Revolution, and. Uh, I read that thing on the, from LA to Indianapolis, cover to cover on the plane. And I was just like, wow, this is a really interesting story. And not so much the motorcycle stuff, which I, you know, I learned a lot um, from that, but I really liked the family stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I really felt it was a family story, a American story an entrepreneur <laughs> story. And it really could have been about any product, any industry. It just so happened that they rode motorcycles, you know? So, and That's what kind of attracted me to it and started the process. <clears throat> we haven't even said what era. So um, John Penton, um, let's see, he, this was in the like the 40s, right? Is when he was really getting into it? The Well, yeah. I mean, he uh, discovered uh, motorcycling after he came back from World War II because yeah. um, uh, his brothers were kind of into it. And the, the famous Jack Pine Enduro up and upper. Yes. Like Michigan. And uh, so they got together some old beat up Harleys and started racing that thing. And 
wanted to make the motorcycles more competitive so they could win and they upgraded the BSAs and and then they started selling the BSAs and next thing you know, you know, John's getting invited to race in in Europe for the international six days trial and uh, kind of the rest is history because on one of those trips is where he met the folks from KTM in Austria. So. Right. So uh, a couple of the things that I really love about this film is, first of all, you are extremely thorough. <laughs> like you have like secretaries and like people just like peripheral people in the, the world of the pendants who may come in and just say like one line or something, but it, it meant something like you were very thorough. I can't believe how many of these people you dug up. Yeah. You know, we had over a hundred interviews in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it, you know, cause Johnny, you know, he turns 95 this, uh, August. He's still around. Oh yeah. John is still, yeah. uh, literally kicking and walking and doing his thing and tending to his orchards. And, you know, he walks every day in KTM's warehouse just for some exercise and, <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah. Um, so his story, you know, it spans, you know, over a hundred years, you know, um, with yeah. his, his dad and uh, his uh, grandfather working for Henry Ford and all this stuff, you know. So uh, we had a lot of people to cover and, you know, John's contemporaries as a 90 year old man. And then, of course, the later generations of the famous Penton sons, you know, Tom, Jack and jeff mm -hmm. and of course fellow competitors and it's just oh let's go ahead, many, go ahead and but, drop drop some names right now oh i don't know um uh well, you know guys like brad lackey and uh um god you're putting me on the spot you know well, Marty Smith, a bunch of motocross lyle guys. love it <laughs> well lyle love it yeah, yeah. Lyle right so you know lyle used to you know race a penton as a kid in texas so um i knew knew of him as a, motor, a, a dirt bike guy and uh you know out of the blue one night a stranger from texas and an attorney who's a dirt bike fan just sent me an email or called me and said hey you should do a movie about john penton and have lyle lovett narrate it and i was like oh that's a good idea because i was already thinking of doing the movie in fact i'd already shot some interviews with john and so a friend of ours uh mark blackwell who was a the head of Indian motorcycles and Polaris for a while. And, and, uh, is now a consultant. He, I knew he was friends with Lyle and, uh, I called Lyle. I called Mark. I said, Hey, you think Lyle would narrate our movie about John Penton? An hour later, Mark calls back and says, Todd, he'd be honored to do it. And so. let's say why, because he has a direct relation. Yeah. And you know, Lyle likes his connection to the dirt bike. He's a dirt biker at heart, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, he rode a Penton motorcycle in the early seventies as a kid while he was learning how to play that damn guitar um, <laughs> out of Houston, Texas. And he rode for a, a dirt bike shop down there that sold uh, Pentons. Was it Cycle Shack, I think, in Texas? Cycle Shack, yeah. yeah. And Lyle even actually worked in a store as a kid sweeping the floors for no pay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, yeah, I didn't know Lyle Lovett, big, big dirt biker. So, yeah, so what, so what you're saying... So what you're saying is that Lyle Lovett ended up uh, going into his side hobby as a career? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I think his parents kept him uh, on the music track all along the dirt bike. Yeah. Uh, okay. In fact, he rode for a, um, his sponsor at the time was 
H and H Music was a music store on Houston, Texas. No way! How funny! Yeah, and he was by far not the fastest rider on the team. You know, so. Well, and uh, and also Malcolm Smith, you got him in there too. Got Malcolm in there, of course. Malcolm was with John yeah. on the trip when he met when he went to the KTM factory coming back from the nineteen sixty seven six days in Poland. You know, uh, Malcolm, you know, tells a story in the in the movie that you know John was always one of these guys talking about big ideas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And Malcolm's like, yeah, all right, John, whatever you say. And they stopped by the factory on the way back from Poland. And, and John didn't actually get to talk to somebody there, but um, the guys there had said that, hey, the, bo- the big boss is at the trade show in Italy, in Milan. And uh, that's where there is. You have to come back. Well, as soon as John got home, back to America, he got back on an airplane to Milan, Italy to go meet with those guys. So... And- <clears throat> So it's such a great story. I want to talk a little bit, though, about uh, John and some of his amazing feats. Emma, we were watching the movie again today in the garage. We were. You want to share, like, some of the amazing things? Well, I mean, just the thing that came across for me, and I think that dovetails into the fact that he's still with us at 95 years old, is just his sheer bloody determination. And that's the thing that really comes through in the movie is the, you know, gashing your face open on a fence. You, and you just read riding, my mind. Carrying on riding. And <laughs> well, all I think the people it... at the checkpoint say, dude, you need to stop right now. You're just covered in blood. And John when says, I think oh, of that movie. it's frozen oh, yeah. onto my face now. It's fine. <laughs> he, I mean, he just ran right off. <laughs> that's the scene not. I think about when I think about this movie. And that's why I'm like, that dude is so hardcore. It's that so shot hardcore. of him rolling up to the checkpoint. And his face is just split open. He's all, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and all the people at the checkpoint, you're not good. You are not good. Oh, awesome. Great, yeah, oh, that was such a fun movie to watch. I tell you, it was such kind of a sleeper because you're like, oh, okay, Dirt Mike movie, whatever. But it was engaging from the beginning. And the history, you know, from riding those big heavy bikes in the sand, you know, in the woods yeah. in Michigan, yeah. transitioning to the lightweight European bikes, What a, it was just a fascinating uh- part of motocross history i i do have a question for you a little bit about the whole process of making the film because um it's a very well-made film and there's obviously a certain amount of money involved in making a film like that so (laughs) you start off with an idea i want to do a story of john penton and you've obviously got some clout as a filmmaker what do you do then? So you've got this idea. Do you get a few interviews in the bag? So when you go and talk to the investors, you say, well, this is what I've got so far. Or do you just go there with the idea and say, I need some money to make this thing? Yeah, you know, I I would love to think that I can just go to investors and show them a resume or show them some clips and say they'll roll over and their wallets will open, you know. And, and But for us, it doesn't work like that. And you guys might know in the motorcycle industry is not, you know, up for spending, you know, no, uh, notoriously tight, darling. I've been in the motorbike <laughs> industry for 40 years and there's, yeah. there's very few industries that they're tighter with their purse rings. Low to, you um, know, low to mid six figures, you know, to make something like this, you know, and I think our budget right. for the pet movie was almost $400,000 to make that. Wow. So I don't know, I guess in our world, that's real money, you know, um, 
It's and a chunk of change. I mean, I know by film standards, it's not a great amount. And I think it's a testament to your skill that a product like that came out with such a small bud budget. Yeah, and when we did it, um, nothing really happened until we got Lyle Lovett to say yes. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, we can sell that because he's a star. Right. We have some star power, you know. Um, so we actually went out and shot a little teaser. I don't think you can even find it online. I should put it back online because it's really cool. That is just, it was all done in one shot. And we found a little place in the woods at Magic Hour and and we used a little bit of Lyle's music and it's just a headlight coming from far away down through the woods. And Lyle does this little voiceover about, you know, um, uh, a man, you know, got together his band of, you know, uh, confidants to put this little company together and change the world basically was the, <laughs> but at the end the motorcycle comes right up full frame right we we stages to where it starts at the beginning of this little monologue by lyle with the music and it's just a headlight snaking through the woods right and at the end he comes right up to the camera and it's a he's and it's a friend of mine dressed as john penton in his helmet and on a penton and whatever and he drives and just drive he, he stops looks away doesn't even look at the camera drives away right so we built that and we thought okay we can fundraise with this well no <laughs> and then i was talking with a friend of mine and he had mentioned this thing called kickstarter you mm -hmm. know was coming on oh you should try this thing called kickstarter so we tried it at first for like i think we had the first time we tried it for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars and it didn't make that in 60 days or in 30 days it didn't do it failed, right? You didn't reach the goal. I think we got like $70,000 or something. And so I waited about six months and I put it back up at like $150,000. Because I'm like, okay, well, let's just say we can get it in the can. Let's get it shot. You know, worry about editing it later. Right. And, uh, and, and put it out for 60 days, which is the maximum for Kickstarter. And it worked this time. You know, we actually went over. Uh, Fantastic. So we got like $165,000 through 562 backers for it. And uh, I remember watching it count down. I was in a bar in downtown Fullerton area where I live. And the way Kickstarter works, you can, you can watch it count down to the deadline, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there with a friend and I watch it count down to zero. And all of a sudden it says successful funding. And I get an instant email from Amazon. Hey, your account just grew by $165,000. <laughs> and I get all this happened at one time, you know, like within three minutes, you know, I'm like, wow. Oh, this is a good night, you know? Wow. So, so we got started, you know, and, uh, and I, I was going to say, Liza, how many of our guests on this show have funded their projects via Kickstarter? Oh, there's a bunch Just, and there's I, a bunch that we have contributed to that fund yeah. as well. Yeah. I wonder wow. if that's where I did I, may, I may have funded been one of the backers. <laughs> I don't know if I would do it again though. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot of that, work. that is hard right very so, stressful so uh, emma brought this up earlier i want to bring it up again one of the things i really enjoyed was seeing early on when john was young and he's getting into racing and doing the um the jack pine and stuff like that on harley's and i believe there's a scene where there's a it's a bmw you know but but these yeah, are a bmw yeah these are not dirt bikes i want to be clear these are not these are Street bikes that they modified, lifting the fender, put, changed the tires, did that yeah. stuff, right? And they're riding them in sand and mud and rivers and, and 
it's crazy. And then as uh, the the penance became known at the the Jack Pine race, um, then the the British bikes, BSAs, these much lighter, nimble bikes showed up. And that kind of started changing things. But the Pentons, John Penton, he was on board quick with that. And uh, he ultimately then working with, uh, I guess he was on the Husky first, and then he started bringing the, the KTM, the, the Penton bike that was correct KTM. And it, it changed the dirt biking as we know it completely and in a pretty short amount of time i would say going from those big harleys well yeah i mean and part of the thing was john wanted he'd he'd got an experience when he went to europe on the bmw he was amazed at how nimble the tiny little displacement bikes were in the woods you know the Mm -hmm. 50 100 cc bikes and he knew that that was the market like hey if we can make a small dirt bike specialty dirt bike and and he was distributing Husqvarna's at the time and they were only interested in the big stuff 250s 400s whatever right 500s and they wouldn't make and he just he gave the idea to Husky first and hey you guys need to make a little bike a 125 or 100 and they said no that's not where the market is so that's when he decided to do it himself and he had met some engineers from KTM. And at the time, if you remember KTM in 1967, they were like known as a, they were making scooters and bicycles and mopeds and they weren't in the dirt bike business, but um, they had some engineers who were in dirt bike enthusiasts. So they would build their own kind of contraptions after work at KTM and go race the six days. And that's John met some of those people in Poland and they invited him to come to the the factory in Austria in um, Modikofen. So, so uh, he was a great rider, and then uh, he got uh, invited over to the Six Days event. Um, but the other thing I loved was that he had a lot of children, and he got all of them, uh, the boys and the girls, all riding. I love the story about the little Honda that they were riding around the farm. That was a sign on on the building. That they <laughs> yeah. pulled down and got it running, <laughs> yeah. and they would all tear around on this little Honda. But the the I think my favorite story was at the six days where three of his sons and John were all competing together, and the six days is one of the hardest events in the world. Yeah, that was nineteen seventy, Liza, and, and that was his last and his son's first. And I think his was it Jeff who was only like fifteen, I think. Jack, yeah, Jack, Jack was fifteen, and and yeah, that was in Spain. Yeah, El Escorial. And I think the the sons did did better. I think did, uh, he didn't. John didn't finish that time, right? Uh, or he got no. no, he got a silver. He might have got a silver. Yeah, he got a silver. He never got a gold. Yeah, the yeah. whole deal, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, John was too busy bashing his hands and crashing and you know so so you know, that's also i mean if, if people remember the movie on any sunday that was the the six days where malcolm was the star of for on any sunday so right mm-hmm. um, so he was creating a future ama hall of famers and his sons too keeping that going while building this business he has his dealership and importing stuff and 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 telling uh ktm what to build for the market here and then 
he started bringing over gear and started changing that the high point gear the those boots yep. with the metal on the front that are now like you see like punk rockers wear you know yeah, it's was a fashion thing but <laughs> uh-huh. before that i think people were just wearing like linesman boots or something right yeah you know and and um when john uh you know not he didn't discover alpine stars mm-hmm. um but they're the ones who he worked with to make those high point boots and you know we all knew how what alpine stars is like today right yeah. you know and um and it was a funny story because they went over um john and um his um sidekick went over there to italy um to look for a boot maker and they got lost there in the oslo area where all the boot makers are <laughs> i like this story and so they ended up seeing a sign that said oh Hey, these guys make boots. Let's go ask them if they know where the other boot maker is, right? And it was Alpine Stars. And so when they went in, they met Sante Mazzarola, and he's like, well, I can make those boots for you. And, you know, the rest is history, you know? And those guys had a long, long relationship. And it's like people said, you know, in the 70s, you know, the whole gate of motocross guys would be wearing high-point boots, you know? So... Oh, yeah. I had a set of those. Those my first actual motorcycle boots I bought, I think. There you go. So, yeah. so, so, I mean, and, you know, it wasn't just the boots, it was the gear that it was, they, you know, they developed oils with spectro mm-hmm. you know, to come up with a high point oil and help put spectro on the map. Um, just all kinds of little, you know, his brother, Ted, uh, built the first forward falling starting gate in America for the motocross track. I didn't put that in the movie, but it was just mm. another one of those wow. things, you know, that the Pentons did. And, cool. And, uh, you know, and John imported the first couple um, pallets of Red Bull back in like the late 80s. <laughs> no what? Yeah. A funny, a funny story that, that, that um, uh, the guys in Austria, because that's where, you know, Salzburg's yeah. not far from Nottinghofen where Red Bulls originated. And they had said, hey, this is going to be the neat stuff. And so John had a couple um, pallets of the stuff thrown on it, containers of KTMs headed to Amherst, Ohio, where he lives. And I don't know what happened with it. They drank it, whatever. But he thought he was going to be the importer of the stuff, you know, so. All right. So <laughs> wow. hold on. Let me get straight. So Red Bull, Alpine Stars, KTM, we can all trace back to repentance and then not to mention like i said ama hall of famers and champion racers is there anything else we can uh, attribute to john the the international six-day enduro right he brought that to the u.s yeah they brought it to the u.s in 1968 was instrumental in getting that thing not uh not 68 but in 73 dalton massachusetts you know and um right and up until we made the movie and it came out in 2014 and the americans had never won the six days as of 2014, right? They came close the year before with when Kirk saw they got second, you know? So, I mean, for John's entire life, it was his goal to support, you know, it was a very patriotic thing to keep supporting those riders right. to win that international title. You know, for those that title. don't know, the ISDT, it's almost like the Olympics of motorcycling. Yeah. There is so much national pride among all countries. Because at the beginning of the ISDT, you have your country with your team and the flag. Got to have a flag. And you're walking like it's the beginning of the Olympics. There's that much. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a very difficult thing to do, as Dick Burleson says. I mean, you have to have, you know, you're only as good as your slowest team member, right? Um, the six of your six man team, and you have to be perfect for six days. You know, keep the motorcycle together, finish start and finish on time. You know, um, and it's really hard, you know, to to do that over six days. You know. Oh, I thought of something. Then one of the his sons, who created the hingeable shifter, shifter. Tom Patton. Tom Patton. Yeah. yeah. Something Holy we take shift take for granted today on dirt bikes, but the, the hingeable shift lever. So Holy shift lever. Yeah. yeah. And this is something I love about this family, and this is why I wanted to highlight this American family. I mean, they. It's never good enough. They're they're. They're always out there to improve and to find and to make things better. Yeah. And the family, even to this day, you know, they're all very, very humble people. You know, um, they were just regular people that were farmers and Mm -hmm. uh, the kids worked on the farm and and worked in the motorcycle shop and and rode and dad didn't cut him any slack. And uh dad was a great writer too. And I like me, Jack Penton says, you know, it's like, man, if you wanted to, if you wanted to go riding with your dad, you had to keep up (laughs) (laughs) and you learned to ride very good, very quickly. You know, you had cousins who were racing It's a very competitive family, you know, and, and, uh, no, no slackers, uh, were allowed in the Penton family, you know? So is there another generation of Pentons out there? Um, there really isn't on the racing side of it, you know? Wow. So it, it all kind of ended with Jack, John and Tom, um, cause their kids, and, uh, and Jeff, and Jeff yeah. you know, their kids are into other things and, you know, so mm. when you go to Pentonville and Amherst, Ohio, you know, it's all the original haunts are still there and everything, but there's, you know, no big legacy other than bumping into John at KTM if you happen to be there in the morning, you know. So. Well, and, and just to further emphasize the, the great lineage of the Pentons, let's go back a couple generations and tell us a story about Ford and and his first car because there was a Penton there. Yeah, so John's grandfather... Um, I don't know why his name is, uh, I think his name was Henry too, uh, lived in the same neighborhood when Henry Ford was just getting his, uh, experimenting with his first gas powered engine. Yeah. And, uh, they were just neighbors in the same neighborhood there in, in Michigan. And John's grandfather worked at a steamship company and so everything was steam powered, right? So John's grandfather, um, uh, was asked by Henry Ford, like, hey, can you take some of these parts to work and machine these for him? I don't know, maybe it's a flywheel or a crankshaft or something, right? A head, I don't know. And so that's what uh, John's grandfather um, would do for Henry Ford. And at some point, you know, Henry Ford had built his kind of first contraption and kind of asked John's grandfather, hey, do you want to get involved in this thing? And John's grandfather said, no, I don't that internal combustion stuff. Nah, steam power is the way to go. And that was a complicated decision there. I'm not falling for that infernal combustion engine stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, funny story at the beginning of the film. So, yeah. And that's exactly, you were so thorough and in including from 
this John's grandfather down through all the penance and everything that they've had their hands in. But again, as you say, such humble people. I just love the images of John, who's like, in the film, I think he's about almost 90. And, uh, you know, he's in his shorts and his galoshes, and he's out there cutting down trees, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I... You know, when you do one of these projects you always kind of wonder you know how are you going to start it and how are you going to end it you know um and we knew john talking about his farm a lot and you know we were out there me and my camera operator it was just me and one guy you know and like well let's go out and shoot some stuff for you with the farm you know and went out there and spent a day with him driving his tractor and cutting stuff and you know we just kind of put that stuff away you know um and i don't know at some point you know, with Lyle's voice, whatever, just felt like, you know, like, let's start with John in the woods because who's this old man by right. himself driving a tractor in the woods, you know? And, uh, you know, Amherst is a quaint little town and and we had shot some, you know, older retiree kind of guys in the local cafe and stuff and just felt like yeah. kind of the right way to get into this story, you know? Um, yeah, it was great. So I do have another question for you. So in the film, you feature some flashback scenes and people riding old bikes but these look like beautifully restored bikes are these bikes from the penton family were these the original bikes that are still in the family yeah so that you know this is kind of you know for me as a filmmaker you know i'm used to using you know what if i can find some archival home movies or still pictures or things like that for b-roll but we knew we didn't have a lot of that material to cover john's early life just Mm -hmm. because this stuff didn't exist so we're like okay we're going to do all these reenactments, right? Which is fun, you know, but it can be expensive and whatever, you know, but, um, so we needed motorcycles to do this. Well, it turns out, you know, two of the motorcycles, the BMW mm-hmm. that was used in the movie, um, and the NSU. Right. NSU. Oh, yes. The NSU. Those are actually He's John's just... race bikes. I was wondering. That, that NSU is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, we have a local museum with a supermax in it and whenever i whenever i go to tolbert's i'll just sit and look at that supermax because it is such a gorgeous bike and the thought of riding it off-road it'd be a freaking tragedy (laughs) there it is (laughs) so both of those bikes were found locally um by um a gentleman jeff Bohr, who's a member was the member of uh, one of the members of the was kind of around the corner from the Pentons, Jack. Um, and uh, he restored those bikes, both those bikes. And those were actual John's race bikes that other people had. Wow. I think the NSU was found in a chicken coop. <laughs> How appropriate. And so he restored them. And, you know, ha- having the conversation of, hey, so you think we could ride those bikes and pretend it's John? Oh, yeah, no problem. That, you know? That's exactly, no. we were watching it in the garage and I'm like, Emma, I want to know where he, what idiot allowed him to take their restored bikes and ride it in the woods and in the mud well, and everything. Like, no, I know. Know. Oh, he, <laughs> Jeff was all for it, and and uh, yeah, and he was like our, you know, vintage bike wrangler. Um, and the Harleys that we used at the beginning of the movie were that came from an, um, the Bale family, um, which is close by and. And they had the right year and right model Harleys that they let us ride too, you know. So it really worked out well to have, and and the purple Honda step through 
mm-hmm. yes you like so mm-hmm. the guy who built the nsu on the nsu on the bmw he he had that an old step through honda um it wasn't a 50 it was a 90 at the time but it had no yeah. motor in it right so he made the purple bike for us for the movie, oh, right? Nice. He got one and painted it purple and everything, but he didn't have a motor for it. All he had was a 90 CC Honda, um, uh, ATV motor for a three wheeler, mm-hmm. right. Uh, or a four wheeler. Right. And the, the mounts are all the same. So we put that in there. Right. And it was funny because it had reverse. Right? <laughs> <laughs> We were getting a big kick out of having the people, the kids ride. And those are all John's, uh, Jack's uh, grandkids that are all the Penton kids in the movie. Those are nice. all Pentons cool. in the movie. All the, the young Jeff and the young uh, Jack and the, those are all Penton kids, grandkids in the movie, right? So we had a lot of fun. But the BMW in particular, when we first started shooting the movie, the BMW was like, it was like a shell frame forks wheels on it the motor wasn't in it seat was on it mm. and jeff was like oh i'll get this when are you going to want to shoot this and i said ah maybe in november you know um or the springtime i forget what it was but he goes i'll, I'll have it ready for that so he actually got the bike finished and restored it um for to get it so he could shoot that bike oh that's right? great wow. and that's awesome. if you remember the opening scene you know it starts with john riding that bike um Across the field, the water in the woods. Across mm-hmm. the field, across the field shot. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to Pennsylvania to a private farm with that bike, and he just put it together. And we got a few runs across with it, and we had a helicopter. This is yeah. Our drone couldn't keep up, but we had a helicopter we we're using for that shot. That someone let us borrow. Another Penton guy had a friend in the sheriff's department <laughs> had a helicopter that we could put our camera guy in. And so we were out there, drove, you know, 150, 200 miles to this farm because we could ride all over the farm for that whole opening sequence. And we got like a couple shots across the field and maybe through the woods a little bit. It's on the DVD. If you watch it, there's the story of it. And the motor completely disintegrated. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It's odd and it came through the case. And yeah, you were done, right? And because the motor was an originally kind of a hot rotted motor, you know, it had been bored out and whatever. Um, so, yeah. So poor Jeff Ward, the gentleman owned the motorcycle and it's John's, it's Jack's son is riding it. Um, Adam Penton is riding the bike when it disintegrated and we had only gotten a couple shots at thing. Right. So we, uh, so Jeff ended up putting the motor back together and then we went back out there think this was in november because of the weather you can see the weather's kind of shitty and all that close-up stuff and riding through the water slow motion and burn up that is the second time we used the motorcycle wow it took two times to get those shots uh, that's a great story and i I really love those recreated shots they they really added a a really just a, a, a a this this kind of a time travel feel to the movie it did it was really cool how, well, how long did it take you to make the uh, movie, Todd? We started uh, shooting in the spring of 2013, so about a year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that's that's actually short in the world that I'm used to dealing in. So um, so yeah, we started in the spring, and then the movie we came out in 
June of 2014. So, um, so it, we went to Europe with John and those guys in the summer of 2013 for a couple weeks. And so, my question that. to you, Todd, in the, in the seven years that's gone by, would you would you make the movie differently now? Uh, it's such a the story is so strong. I, th I mean, I think the movie's great as is, but I'm I'm also my worst critic, and I look look at bikes I restored seven years ago, and I think, what's this piece of shit here? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would do anything different. You know, I think it's. I've. I've been told it's too long because it's two hours and 15 minutes long, but people say... Yeah, but the story needs to be that length to well, tell Well, that's, that's what I say, you know? Um, and it has about three endings, if you watch it, you know? It ends about three right. endings, you know? But <laughs> I just can't cut stuff, you know? That's my own problem, you know? Well, well, well let's, let's go to an easier question then. What did, what did John make of it? Oh, good question. You know, all the Pentons really didn't know what to think at first, you know, and, and they're very, the Pent Owners Group, because they contributed to our Kickstarter funding, they didn't know who I was. And so they were very protective of the story, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah, of course. The Pent Owners Group had funded Ed Youngblood's book. And uh, so I had to send them, I sent them all a bunch of DVDs of our other movie we had done on the Carlsbad U.S. Grand Prix in 1980 when the first American won it, Marty Motes. Um, so I said, Hey, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> Here's the movie, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, at the end, they're all super, super appreciative. And, and I'm, you know, the best part about it is I'm considered the, the son of a different mother now with, uh, Aww. With oh, well, that's, that's nice. great because you, you approach it in, in such a respectful way. And. It, it's obvious these are very, very motivated men, and they're very driven men. And when somebody is that driven and motivated, they can be, I'm not going to say difficult, but they can be, as you say, a little protective of their story. Strong will. But I think, I think you showed that, that drive in a very respectful way. Well, and... You know, one of the things that attracted me, and it's in the book, but as much as the motorcycle stories and the racing and John's a tough guy and kept crashing, get hurt, keep riding, whatever, is the family aspect of the story. Right. And the tragedies. I mean, tragedies. I the mean, tragedies. Right. Oh. And I just knew that, you know, we <laughs> we had a winner on our hands when we if we could capture those moments in the right way, right? Because that's, right. that's the stuff that would attract people who don't give a shit about motorcycling. Right, exactly, because that's the story. And this is an own thing. If you go back to those hokey shows from 10, 15 years ago, like American Chopper, or even the Jesse Jones. Watch it, Jesse Emma, James watch it. <laughs> well, yeah, but hang on. They were strong shows because they were about bikes. And if you like bikes, there was plenty in it for you. But they were great family stories as well. And American Chopper was not just about bikes. It right. was about the Tuttles. And that's what drew in, as you say, the non-motorcycling people. And I think we're finding that with our YouTube channel, Liza. Yeah. Is that the non, you know, people watch us and think we're entertaining as heck. But if we just talk about motorbike parts, we're going to lose half our audience very quickly because there's nothing for people who don't like bikes. So 
I, I found it interesting. You said that uh, you needed to like convince them that you're you're qualified to do this movie. But you're I'm legit. A, but I'm going to be honest. I have a different way of qualifying people, Todd. So I have to ask you, what bike do you ride? <laughs> well, actually, I don't ride anything currently because I had. A, well, I had a uh, Yamaha Super Tenere. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good bike. Yeah, that's my favorite, Todd. Well, I've had it for years and ended up um, uh, selling it because I was going to buy, and still I'm going to buy, a Honda Africa Twin. <gasps> oh, guess, <laughs> guess what, Todd? You're in the right club now, Todd. Guess <laughs> what? Jim, <laughs> has, Jim has an Africa Twin. Well. And I, I have an Africa Twin. Oh, so now we got to find out. Which one are you looking at? Because oh, I, I it's going to be a DCT. Oh, I win! I win. Venture <laughs> Sports model. That's what I got. So All I, I know I, is, last is... summer. I'll tell you the story. I have I've had this Tenere since 2011, and I love it. It's been to Mexico a bunch of times with us and all my friends who have KTM 990s and 1090s, whatever. They're always amazed at how I ride that thing. Where they go on theirs, right? And not that you know, but whatever i'm just trying to keep up right well i had the opportunity to take um simon cudby is a friend of mine from um upshift magazine mm -hmm. um and he had a press bike from honda uh adventure sports africa twin he says hey you want to ride this in idaho montana wait a like, minute how yes. long ago was this two years ago guess what <laughs> is that the bike you own now that Liza? is my bike <laughs> awesome! I, I got it from Honda. It was their test bike. That's probably the same bike. This, yep. yeah, this—that's what it was. They had a bunch of them. They had a few of them out there floating around, but that bike ruined me for the Super Tenere. <laughs> I got back on the Tenere when I got home. I'm like, man, this thing's a pig. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. So Jim has yeah. the the standard manual, and it is nice that we have both and and can do a lot of comparisons. Oh, I would agree. Although you, I think you did just crush Emma because she loves that Super Tenere so dearly. She wants one of us to own one, but we refuse to. Well, no, but Charlie's she, got you love that bike. Charlie got one. I oh, drove right. Charlie's Super Ten today. He let me take it out for a spin. And having been on the AT DCT model in Tennessee uh -huh, a few years ago, see? you know, I, I got a side with you. So, I mean, if I could have owned both, I would have kept the Super Tenere because I like it on the street and I like cruising more kind of just touring rides with it you know but when it comes to the dirt and we were up there on the low you know well, low low motorway in the you know where lewis and clark you know the same trail that lewis and clark were on in idaho and you know what's his name chase the nez pierce indians back to you know whatever same road you know we're on this awesome dirt bike adventure I'm, i just had to pinch myself because i'm like man we're on our own adventure like lewis and clark and you know it was just no, I think you do. I think you're doing the right thing, Todd. Because if you bought a manual transmission Africa Twin, I think you'd miss the power of the Super Ten. Whereas you're buying a DCT, so it's such a completely different bike. You're not comparing the two. Yeah, well, and and you know, I was kind of had you know, like okay, the DCT was available. I wouldn't have bought one had I not ridden it, spent four days with it, right? Because mm -hmm. I got intimately used to how that thing performed in manual mode and on the auto mode and it has some issues you know mm -hmm. i think the 
the gravel mode built into it is like gravel mode for pussies. You mean so the wheel, the wheelie mode? What's that? You mean the wheelie mode? <laughs> well, it just, and you know what? I told the guys at Honda this, it needs, it needs the reverse from the, the gold wing on it. I'm guessing okay. that you are under six feet tall then. Well, no, but even when no? once I found out in four days that yeah. we put, you know, a hundred pounds of gear on it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's tall, especially adventure. It's a tall bike. Yeah, it's a tall bike. Just if you go down to like a dirt road and you're like, oh, we got the wrong way. Turn around. Yeah. Right. And you're digging your feet in to try to back it up just to turn it around to go the other way. It's tall. It's a big bike, isn't it? I I, I agree with you. I I am a, a large person and this is the first bike I've ever had where i felt intimidated when i was trying to move it around when i was off the bike um it's it's actually quite funny because when liza is pushing that africa twin around she goes very red and she makes noises like a steam engine it's honda red it's honda red (laughs) so honda red and she's Yes, just, it's it's so, really quite funny. Just so you know, in in case it matters to you at all, Todd, because of that answer, I now qualify you to make the John Penton story. Okay, great. I, I don't know if it matters this late, but just so you know, here's what a badass I am. Look at this. That's me writing down a telephone pole on that oh, Africa yeah. twin. Hey, Liza, show him the picture of you riding over the cars. <laughs> oh, that's right. There's not. They wouldn't let me. That's me riding over the cars. Hey, well, and if it if it helps a little bit, I also have a a '69 oh. Penton six days coming together in my garage. Ooh. Oh, oh, nice! Cool. So, oh, that is cool. And then I have a '79 Honda Elsinore Marty Smith replica and a JT1 Mini Enduro Yamaha. So all oh. dirty stuff. You like you, you like are a dirty, dirt dirty bike bikes. guy. I am a dirt bike guy. So these are all the bikes I wish I had when I was a kid or heroes bikes or whatever you know. So. Cool. Yeah. Can I, I interest you in a CRF 250L? <laughs> no. no, thank you. <laughs> but you know, just to go back, because you um, on on the film with talking about how you know we wanted to make it appeal to people who are non motorcycle mm-hmm. riders. You know, um, John Jack told us a story that him and his and when the movie came out, his him and his dad, along with myself, but you know we got invited to go to you know because the way we screened the movie through gather films you know we had these we had over 100 screenings public screenings of it you know um actually made money on it you know um and they would get invited to come to these screenings in baltimore and florida and whatever and the dealers would pay for them plane yeah. tickets and whatever just to come to their screening of the movie and and jack had told us the story of his dad was sitting there next to this young gal she was in her 30s maybe and she had no idea who he was and he's sitting next to her in the movie theater and uh john's talking to her like oh hey so do you like motorcycles and she's like no i'm not really into motorcycles my boyfriend brought me to this thing so i'm here to hang out with him right he's like oh, okay and john doesn't you know and so john remembers looking over halfway through maybe one of the family scenes emotion when someone dies you know whatever he looks over and she's got tears streaming Aww. down her face, you know and just riveted <laughs> to the, the movie so i'm like okay you know we, we know we did our job then right so you know those so, those moments you know it's a great story and yeah it's so appropriate for this weekend because it's, it's such an american story and i think <clears throat> 
I think that's that's what really drew me in. Oh, I should also remind you that you're all celebrating independence from us a lot. Yeah, However, that's why we invited you to dinner last you night. You grateful colonials, <laughs> really. Um, but it's, it's, it's a wonderful, at its heart, it's a wonderful family story. And it is, it is such an American story. But it, there are international players. That's what makes it so good. It's this driven American traveling all over the world to get what he wants it's the yeah we could have made the ever. movie we could have made the movie without going to europe you know i mean we probably could have just yeah but it wouldn't have been the same people. would it it wouldn't have you know it was just you know let's go there spend the money go to austria go to italy because this is where it all happened you know and and to have those international people you know speak in german or italian or whatever uh, <laughs> and it was important to have those people so <laughs> whatever, and, you know, the whatever thing they were is, speaking they they talk about John and the family with with such respect yeah. and with such reverence. You know, there's real there's real feeling for John in that movie, and it's 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 not contrived at all. It's quite genuine. Yeah, if you go to any of these, um, you know, six days reunions they have in Europe and things like that. I mean, the Pentons really are treated like they're motorcycle royalty. You know. Um. KTM last year opened up their new museum and, you know, they could have put the KTM version of the Penton in their new museum, right? Showing the eras of all the KTMs, but that motorcycle that's in there says Penton on it, you know? Right. And the people from KTM, Mr. Uh, um, <laughs> Stephen Pierre, you know, he made sure that John was equal to anybody himself <laughs> in that room for that ceremony, you know, and, Nice. And, uh, it's a big deal, you know. I mean, literally. I mean, when you compare those kinds of families, you know, it's, you know, John and I think we were at the AMA Hall of Fame ceremony a few years ago in Florida, and, mm -hmm. and uh, Willie Davidson had been inducted in something. So he someone right. made a big shout out to you know, hey, there's only one other family in the room that had their name on a motorcycle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Ben, you know. So. Nice, and you know, if you if you think about it, Todd, I mean, the repercussions of this whole KTM and Penton collaboration. Last week, we devoted a large portion of the show to the Paris Dakar rally, oh. and I mean, KTM had a huge impact in that rally for a, for a long time in the eighties and nineties. It was really the KTM rally; all the major players mm. were there. And without Penton's insistence yeah. on the direction for his bike and the development KTM were able to put into the dirt bike, that may never have happened. And I suspect that the people at KTM know that. I mean, KTM really had an illustrious dirt biking reputation. Yeah. And I think you can trace it back to the Penton years. Yeah, it's hard not to, right? Like, who knows? I mean, what, that's Genesis. Who yeah. knows what it would have become of KTM had John Penton not walked in their door, right, in the fall of 1967, you know? Um, I mean, they had, they had engineers who were tinkering with their own bikes and things like that. So it's probable that KTM would have got in the dirt bike business somewhere sometime yeah. you know whether it was a year but, from now, years from yeah, now it, it, we get into this whole 
who, what, when, oh, where. Yeah. Um, well, and I've actually but, restored a pentagon for a mm. museum, uh, for a local museum. However, it was an interesting, it was an interesting bike, and I'll have to go back and research my notes. Um, but it was a Sax engine. Yeah. But it was a British frame. I think it was a Wassel frame. Oh, it was a trials bike, the Wassel. Yeah, the Wassel. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, and that was a very odd duck. So you yeah. know the bike. Yeah, it's a, um, it's the uh, Mudlark, they called it. Yeah, not the best looking thing. Wait a no. minute. Mudlark, yeah. we need to add that to our list of bikes with animal names. Oh, yes, yeah. we do. The Mudlark. Yeah. It's so, a, it was um, a pen Mudlark. It was a Wassel frame with the Saxon yes. engine and... Yeah, it, I don't think it was one of their finest moments building that bike. But but you know what? Like, I mean, it makes for a great display in the museum because course, if nothing yeah. else, it's quite colorful and people are like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it hasn't got quite the grace of the um, enduro bikes, I think yeah. is the best way to describe it. It's a bit, it's a bit humpty back. <laughs> it looks like... Um, it's almost got like a praying mantis kind of feel about it, but maybe an arthritic praying mantis. Well, the, the Penton story was a story that needed to be told, and I'm so glad that you did. I'm so glad I became aware of it. And I just wanted to remind everyone that it will be in our film festival, August 14th through 16th. Go to RevSisters.com. But I also want to give people an opportunity if there are people out there like me who wants to own a dvd to go on the shelf next to on any sunday and all the other great movies where's the best place for people to get their own copy oh they can just go to amazon it's That's on right. amazon sells a lot of them for us it is on amazon for 17.99 17.99 that is a bargain and it's on video on demand too so yeah you tell me where you're going to get over two hours of entertainment, a very high-class entertainment for less than 18 bucks. There you yeah. Go. And there's lots of uh, bonus features on there and some um, extras and behind-the-scenes stuff. And where, where can we see that intro with the, uh, uh, that you were telling us about in the dark forest with the uh, Lyle Lovett interview and the bike? Is, is that on the cutting room floor somewhere? It's my, not, there I, is a something on YouTube. I don't know if it's a trailer or if it's this. Yeah, there is um, a short film on YouTube. Teaser, and I'd have to find it. Um, I should. Um, you should post it onto YouTube. Yeah, it's. Um, I know there were some issues maybe with the music on mm -hmm. it. You know, Lyle said, go ahead and use it. It's, he had. It was music that he had lifted from somebody else that he had permission to use it, mm, but I see. Um, there may be, but we'll find it because it, it was a clever idea because it was only one shot, you know, like camera from action to one shot, you know, and right. uh, and it worked out pretty well, you know, so. Well, since you had such the vision of, of finding this story, I'm now curious to know if there are any other stories that you <laughs> may be telling or that you want to tell. You know, we're working on a movie. Uh, it's kind of hit and miss on shooting it just because my crew is working for free on it because we just want to get it done on the history of the Catalina Grand Prix. Oh, that's a good one. Which it's a really good story. Um, we were over there in 2010 when they did the race the one year and uh, we were going to, we were shooting to actually go in the new on any Sunday. And 
so we were over there. We spent a bunch of money, $75,000 on a huge crew, 20 people and to shoot the race. And then a year and a half later, Red Bull kind of took over the movie. And so in the new, on any Sunday, uh, you barely, they used a couple clips, right? Because they took the thing, the project in a different direction. So uh, we had this stuff sitting on a shelf and no one had ever seen it before. And I'm like, well, let's do something. So we started shooting interviews, um, you know, with Dave Eakins and Preston Petty and all the old guys too. So half the movie will be on the, <laughs> the up until 1958 Catalina Grand Prix and the other half will be on what happened in 2010. You know, so. I would like to share a, a brief Catalina story. You know, as a child, I grew up in Birmingham and we have, we had, because I think it's closed now. We had the most wonderful museum of science and industry. And as a tiny child, I thought it was the best place ever. And it was full of motorbikes because, of course, that's where most English motorbikes were made. Yep. And they were very austere colors. They were gray and maroon and black. And right in the middle was this gorgeous baby blue scrambler covered in chrome and looked quite unlike anything else in that museum and of course it was the bsa catalina named after the catalina grand prix and it, it was like nothing else in there because it was so far removed from these quite dowdy austere offerings <laughs> for the home market and it's the if you've never seen a catalina eliza it is the brightest shade of sky blue you have ever seen and there's a picture of catalina the island on the top of the gas tank Oh. It's a wonderful thing. A big wow. chrome gas tank and blue. It's it's a fabulous looking thing. But it was named after the Grand Prix. Can I paint my KZ like that? Yeah, you can. You can paint your KZ. Ooh. So, um, Todd, you're a movie guy. I've got a question for you. What What's your favorite movie scene? What is your favorite scene? It can be from any movie. It doesn't have to be a motorbike movie. And why is it what, bullet? What, and no. what... <laughs> scene and you either think how the hell did they do that or it just takes oh. your breath away because the cinematography is so good are we talking about a motorcycle scene no any okay, scene okay. any scene in any movie because todd's a movie guy so he can include porn porns in this yes okay oh, oh, yes. <laughs> especially if steve mcqueen is involved Steve McQueen porn. Because there are a lot of times you go, the, how are they the, doing that? Can I, I, can, I, can I just give you a teaser and tell you mine, Todd? It's yeah. the very, very closing scene of In the Heat of the Night where Sidney Poitier gets on the train and you see him in the train window and it's moving quite quickly and the camera just keeps panning back and i still don't know how they do that shot because it was like 1965 it had to be a helicopter shot but it starts as a head and shoulders of him in the in the window yeah right and it just keeps panning back it's an absolutely fantastic shot i still don't know how they did it back then you know, I, technically, I don't know if I look at, you know, of course, recently, you know, I was amazed at 1911 just because, you know. Yeah, I've heard yes. that's amazing. The you opening know, scene was that. mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have one, oh, right. yeah. one take in it that is, one scene is over seven and a half minutes and it's one yeah. shot, you know. Um, yeah, it was, that was, that was awesome. And how they did it. So technically, I mean, I, I like that kind of stuff, but, you know, kind of, 
I don't know when people, if I've been asked this before, kind of like what are your kind of favorite movies? Not necessarily the scenes, but you know, I go back to the first dirty Harry movie and at the end yes, on the pier, on that little wharf and the, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, did he but you know, you, you, only six, you know, you, you kind of strike me as a kind of, you're, you're an old school guy. You're an analog kind of guy. So I think you probably, you, you're not that appreciative of CGI. I mean, you know, in the, in that, in your movie, it's the authenticity of the scenes and you've got an actor playing John Penton, but it's very authentic. They're on restored bikes and they're in the proper locations and you know there's no cgi to be found which is great i love it yeah we you know that the scene uh where john went to mexico after his wife dies yeah you know we shot that two weeks before the movie opened in out in barstow out by slash x um on the highway that goes past slash x from lucerne to barstow and um and the good folks at uh, Irv Seavers had the BMW motorcycles for us to use to do the Earl Flanders scene. And that's, um, that was to me, you know, to have this guy, you know, doing this and recreating that. Cause it was just as I knew what the guy said in our, the, what we call the radio cut, you know, the offline edit, you know, so I knew kind of what I wanted and to kind of see it happen out of the back of the truck or pickup truck. <laughs> Really just come awesome. to life in front of you. Yeah, and I just um, knew it was going to be good. And then, oh, when we get to use Lyle Lovett's Road to Ensenada music to go with it, oh, this will make people, you know, makes me. Well, that's so funny. You don't you don't hear people men- mention the slash the slash X very often on that. Like, I know the exact spot you're talking about. I go right down in Lucerne Valley every now and then. <laughs> it is beautiful down there. But yeah, what a funky little spot. Yeah, well, we had to kind of find a place to be. You know, the California desert, obviously, and 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 some part you know, be in Mexico and everything, you know? So, well, and when I actually, it was when he went to Mexico and the transcontinental record run, which in itself is an amazing part of John's history as he set that record, you know, way back in 1958, you know, I I was going to say, we didn't even talk about the, his (laughs) cannonball record, but you know, I want to save some stuff for the film because again, it is so well done. It's such a good story. And there's so many interesting little storylines within it and yeah he set a cannonball record that lasted i think like 10 years years. yeah so such a good movie i wanted to thank you for coming on and and talking about this amazing family but also for for finding that story and sharing it because it is a story that needs to be told because i'm somebody who's fascinated with bikes and has been my whole life, but I didn't know about the Pentons. And it's a story that had to be told like now, because I was going to ask, you know, it's, it's full of these colorful old characters like Earl Flanders. And did you, did you have problems getting these old boys to talk to you? Not or, at all. Well, <laughs> I mean, everybody, and, and you know, the kind of the melancholy part of the story, you know, we made that, seven years ago is when we started shooting. And it. a lot of them are gone now. And a bunch of guys in that movie are gone. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why you had the wonderful, to make it then. Well, and including the wonderful Jeff Bohr, who let us use those wonderful motorcycles. Yeah. Right. You know, he, um, shortly after the movie came out, he killed over the heart attack in the parking lot. You know, he too bad. was only but in the, 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 you know, so. Yeah. yeah. But then the movie becomes not just a legacy for John. But for all of those guys yeah. and that kind of lifestyle they were leading back then. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, all of the sort of post-war rough and tumble scrambles. You know, the greatest generation. You know, <laughs> one of my favorite parts in the John story is you know, you know, when the World War II broke out. You know, he thought he was you know, hey, I'm gonna try to avoid getting killed. I'll do my part, but I'll join the Merchant Marine. You know, and he about gets killed. Yeah. No. Then comes back and is like, "Oh, guess what? You're going back again." You know. <laughs> yeah. So. so, thank you again for um, no for problem. participating in the film festival too. Um, I can't wait to share it, and this is why I wanted to talk it up. Um, yeah, and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Well, I hope it does well. I always, you know, we we won the motorcycle film festival in New York. Yeah. And went up, oh, nice. And won any Sunday? Uh-huh. Uh, we were like out of that so yeah and it's interesting i've judged uh one of the previous film festivals and one of the things you wait at least for me kind of on the side is inspiration like after i watch a film does that make me want to go ride motorcycles Mm -hmm. and the pen story after you watch it you want to go ride motorcycles in the woods so i think from an inspirational standpoint it's it's great i mean you get fired up really fun movie it oh, makes awesome. me want to build bikes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I mean, there's a couple, you know, I I would love to build an NSU myself and a BMW R27 and, you know. Well, it's, it sounds like, uh, so you're down in Southern California, yeah? I am in Orange so, County. So, Jim, let's put, put him on the list. Next time we do a trip down there, I'll bring down my DCT. I'll let you ride it, and maybe I can ride something that's in your garage. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> uh, fall is coming, so desert desert riding will be happening uh, come October-ish. All right. There we go. Have you ever ridden a Penton before? No, I haven't. I got to get it. It, it needs just a little more work, so there's just a little more bits for it, but it'll you know, cool. yeah. we, we did have a, I've, we did I've have an the mudlock. I've ridden the mudlock. Nice. Well, thank you very much for joining right, us. Guys, thank you. So, All right. And just, just remember, it's Penton, the John Penton story. Look it up, get it on Amazon. Uh, come to the film festival, watch it, enjoy this story and learn about these rock stars of the motorcycle <laughs> world. Awesome. Thank you very much, Todd. All right. Thanks, Todd. Ciao, Todd. Ciao. So um, I wanted to get to some emails. And uh, Bagel, by any chance, did you get that one that I sent you that's all in German? I did, as a matter of fact. Do you know? (laughs) The email's not in German, but the article is. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm going to read one first, but I just wanted to see if you can kind of like paraphrase that. Sure. Um. I wanted to share some emails. This one is from Dan, and he says, Hello, Dan. Hey, all Love the podcast. It normally gets me through my daily commute on the A406. Oh, yes. Okay. Which he says is one of the worst roads in London. It's not <laughs> fun even on a bike. It um, could be worse. It could be on the M25, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember I used to listen to... Um, satellite radio and i'd listen to like bbc channel 4 or whatever right yeah, yeah and it was always like all right we've got a ladder down on the m10 ladder down it's like they're, they're <laughs> dropping ladders on the freeway all the time there it's crazy <laughs> well it's the brickies they don't they don't put them in the back of the truck properly <laughs> and they fall out <clears throat> so he says i love what you guys do and is wondering if you know of any misfits or kindred spirits in london as i haven't been able to find any sort of cooperative garage near me oh, at cool. all start your own mm. darling exactly the answer i was going to give you know, um, I've been saying this for years that 
everyone comes to us and says, do you know of anyone near me? Or, you know, how do you start one? Or how can I find one? And I tell everyone the same thing. You should start it. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a good mechanic at all, but just because I opened up my doors and shared it, <clears throat> we all kind of learned from each other. We all became better. And then we attracted better people like Emma to come and help us. Oh, better it's, people, is it? <coughs> yeah. That's not what you said earlier. <laughs> um, but it's about building a community and anyone yes. can do it with whatever small space. Even if you don't have a garage to share, um, you might be able to find, I know of people who had a, um, I think there was like a coffee shop that they would meet at and work outside. You know, like you can do it anywhere, really. Um, build whatever small community you can. Or, or even if you just meet up and share ideas mm-hmm. before you start swinging wrenches. Yeah. Because a, a cooperative is as much about talking about problems as actually fixing them. So, you know, if, 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 you, if there's a coffee shop close by to you and you get the word out and a few like-minded, oh, my chain's a bit slack. Well, yeah, that does look a bit slack. Or no, you've got plenty of life left in it. You know, and you just kind of exchange ideas. And then somebody might come up with, oh, you know, my sister, my cousin, my uncle, they've got a garage. Maybe we could meet there. And it starts very, very small and gets bigger i thought they're called garages over there it is called a garage <laughs> the americans call them garages yeah we're going to the garage so yeah so I, I hope that answers your question i don't know of any but I, every you know anyone who asked me i say you should start it it doesn't take much just buy extra yeah. number 10 sockets you're good <laughs> Yeah. And chairs. And you gotta chairs. have the chairs. <laughs> and, and chairs. And chairs. And no riding gear sits on the chair. chair <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yes. All right. So, and yeah. As they say in London, call blimey, gov, you're a caution. <laughs> Incha! Good show, eh? <laughs> I don't know anybody who actually says good show. I think Second World War pilots have these giant mustaches. Yes. And they jump out of their spitfire. Oh, good show. Good show. Well, I don't think anybody said it since then. It actually, it might be a crime saying good show. Did they still sure. say jolly good? Or is jolly good also passe? Well, jolly good show. The two, oh, yeah. you know, wow. it, 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 there it, it is. But yeah, right no, I think I think it's actually illegal in Blackburn <laughs> to say jolly good show. <laughs> it might be. So I'm not sure. Bagel. I'm sort of out yes. of touch myself. Do you have an email to read to us now? I do. All right. And this email is from John C. Smith from Maryland. Hey, hey John. John. So, That's uh, where Baltimore is. It is where Baltimore is. Uh, and John says, "Hi, misfits. Hello, hey, here." Here's a news for Bagel to translate. There it is. From what I can tell, thousands of motorcyclists in Munich blocked traffic for several hours to protest a ban on motorcycles on Sundays and holidays. Not going to happen. Wow. And John finishes with Gute Besserung Nach, which means Something good recovery Nach. Oh, go. Oh, that was yes. nice. Yep. Actually, so, I, I heard that Nach rode his bike this week. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, that's a good, so wait, good so wait, why are they trying to ban motorcycles? Okay, so apparently, uh, and this is something I, I 
this week in the German news. Um, there are certain politicians who are trying to implement a ban on motorcycle riding on public public roads on Sundays and holidays because of the noise. Um, and yeah, there were over 10,000 motorcyclists who showed up in Munich alone. Um, that was not the only city. Pretty much every major city had some sort of demonstration of motorcyclists out there. Um, and they basically, uh, this just uh, completely halted traffic around the, the freeways and major arteries around the city and made a very, very visible demonstration of uh, motorcyclists and that they're not to be messed with. Um, and some politicians are, are jumping on their bandwagon now saying, yeah, we're not going to have any sort of uh, riding, uh, riding ban. Uh, that's completely ridiculous. So it looks like this thing is getting ready to just completely tank this whole idea. Um, thanks to the engagement of motorcyclists in Germany who came Yay. out in massive numbers to demonstrate against well that. Done. Good job. Yes. Just well, don't drive your motorcycle in the, the cobblestone cafes where you're not supposed to. Yeah, not a good once. idea. You get the diners <laughs> getting up to spit on you as you go by. My suggestion is never to do a naked ride on a cobblestone street. Yeah. <laughs> probably not a good idea. And it's probably very illegal in Germany. Yes, well, it's, there's a lot of jingling and jangling and dingling and dangling. Yes, the riding naked is not thing. proper. You do not have the correct protective equipment on the bike. Alles correct. Yeah. All right. Thank, uh, bagler. thank you, Bagel. So, um, Jim, this next one, I think you're going to have to help me. Oh, you wanted to jump in on that German thing? Oh, no, no. I just have a different one before you wrap up, but go ahead. Okay. Um, and this one comes from Jeff. He has a good question, and I think Jim and I have... Hey, Jeff different opinions so we'll just see uh so he says i've heard you talking about uh trail riding and how it's fairly common to ride through private property is that really common in your area around here it could easily get you arrested do you feel it's appropriate to ride onto people's property without their permission why or why not okay so, he gets to start mm. <laughs> I, I i will say i have my policy <laughs> which is yes, you do, and your, your policy is very clear which is ignore any signs but obey any chains or gates <laughs> like so if there's if there's private property if there's just a sign but they can't even just put a chain across i i go up it see i love how this i always get you because you never answer the question so to answer the question liza you think it's okay to ride on private property i go explain floor on Ooh, the road she's being evasive now she always does this i know yeah. so yeah that's yeah, my okay. policy if it's a road and it says like private road i'll still go up it on the dirt oh, bike. God, no that's gonna get you shot liza no i've been with liza down this this remember where were we we were on those trails i know and there's been times where he was spooked he's like you go ahead and get yourself killed <laughs> mm -hmm. But I always end up following you because what is a wingman supposed to do? But yeah, well, you can't. Abandon. But Jim, you have you have the story about being at gunpoint at one place, right? Exactly. Well, I guess I had an evolution on my thought on this. So I was at least <laughs> like, woohoo, let's go find this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, and then you have a you know something happen like a gun pointed at you, which isn't uncommon. You talk to people that ride in certain areas up in the mountains, or, or, or you'll ride by someone holding a gun, right? Um, but I tell you, it definitely changes your, your thought process. So now my answer would be no, it's not okay to ride on private roads without people's permission. Now, here, here's, here's one of the caveats. There's a lot of 
roads that are marked private that are actually open to the public, but there's private residences off these roads and it's just very remote. And I know they're trying to deter traffic, but legally it's a public road. So those roads I have no problem with, but as soon as it says private road chain or not, I, I pass. Um, for, for a number of reasons. Well, the re- the major reason for me would be the more remote the area is, the more there are going to be people there that value living in a remote area, which means if you've chosen to live in a remote area, you've got a reason for that. And it could be just the most antisocial bastard imaginable, but you might have a massive weed grow going on. Either way, they're going to put a bullet in you. Well, I and I want to say too, I, when I do so, I do it respectfully. So you're not making a lot of noise. You're not going off of the road, you know. And, and I, the thing I think is funny is Jim has been with me on every single one of these. Well, I got no choice. <laughs> I'm, I'm your wingman. I'm drawing. Not to mention. Highland Road, which is one of our favorite roads to do, that yeah, has signs that say road. private road. But right. that's one of the roads that's actually it's a public road. Those signs so are put up to deter traffic. A ranger told us, actually. Well, let me clarify also is that there are roads that are on private property, mm-hmm. property that people actually own, especially like up in the mountains. But because these are actual roads, they may be maybe dirt roads, but they are they're, you know, roads that are on a map. What often the case happens is that those are considered easements, which is a mm-hmm. basically a cut into somebody's property which is used for public access and and most often it's you know in you know remote communities where somebody needs to cut through your property to get to theirs and that's what the road is for and but technically that that easement is set aside on your property that so it's it's considered a right of way so that people are allowed to pass so you can put up signs Mm -hmm. that say it is private property and this is a private road which technically it is because it's not maintained by any city or county and the people who live there maintain it but that is still an easement that has public right of way and i think that's a major difference between britain say uh an america is in britain you will have and I'm not sure if there's roads you can drive on, but there's notoriously there's these things called public footpaths. Yes. And it can go <laughs> We've right across too. a farmer's field. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as a kid, I used to walk on a, on a public yeah. footpath with my mum and then be the farmer exchanging yeah. low rustic wheezes with us. But, and, <laughs> you know, he's working his fields yeah. and we're walking right yeah. through the middle of it because we're on the public footpath. So and that, it was deeply unpopular with the farming community, but there was bugger all they could do about it. So the answer is, don't do as I do. Do as Jim says. Just know that Jim does what I do. <laughs> I know. So here's what I'll say. Is, as soon as you say, I do it respectfully, you're not. <laughs> and, and if you really want to make sure, look up the parcel properties on the county public maps and see where the easements yeah. are to see if you have legal right away. <laughs> And here's one more thing that, because Liza and I are heading out to South Dakota, this comes into play. We are fortunate in California, or Liza is fortunate, because if you do ride onto private property, California has what's called, it's a, either a castle law or not a castle law. But whichever one in California, the property owner cannot prohibit you from leaving the property, a.k.a. shoot you. In a lot of other more conservative states, Nevada, for example, probably Utah, when you go into private property, they can shoot you and pretty much get away with it. 
Right, you're so, talking about the castle doctrine. Which, yes, castle doctrine. Which means your house is, you know, you have a right to defend it. Basically, your property is yours to defend. Yep, so there's castle laws. So they can, they'll be much more emboldened to shoot you once you get out of California. So I'm not saying that we're going to be doing this soon, but we may. <laughs> Good to know. Well, just be careful out there, people. Where so that that's the answer. Um, and, and again, I just want to um, say, be respectful. A lot of times these are private roads because yes. um, they don't want people tearing up and down. So I'm riding yep. slow. I'm not being loud. And when I do come up to if it if there's somebody's house, turn around and, and, and leave. Um, and we've been out like riding in the fields when we got chased by people. But we're being mindful. We're not leaving the road we're not damaging any of the road we're not being hooligans we're just kind of exploring dirt paths right so it's it's a great it's a gray area i'm gonna say yeah Yeah, and if that dirt path turns into somebody's driveway then yeah that's when you need need to turn around don't do it on a (laughs) (laughs) two-stroke right so there you go so i think that wraps it up um for i had one comment before we run Yes. So if you remember, we had Evil Knievel Toys uh, on the oh, podcast right. not long ago. The best toy ever made, ever, yeah. right? And we've had podcast listeners chime in and talk and everything. So there's a podcast listener, uh, Vulcan Scooter Dan is his handle, <laughs> and he dropped me a nice. note. And they have at the uh, website on Instagram, at least, for Evil Knievel Toys, clips of everybody's movies they sent in. And it's like a little highlight reel, you know, marketing the toy. And I think the one of the first clips is me and Liza's video. Yay. And it's Hi. awesome. Yay. So thanks. Shout out to Dan for telling me about it. Here's where it, get, it gets better. So one of the comments underneath it is hilarious. It says, quote, love the one in the trailer park at the beginning. Patio on fire. Gas can real close. Holy hillbillies. <laughs> 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 yes, I think we just hit it. <laughs> That's right, my fifteen, my, my four and a half seconds of fame right there. So, um, if, if I can close with a gift from a very, very dear friend. Okay. Um, Evil Knievel Toys. We have something far cooler in Britain. And oh. it's from a long time ago. And I'd forgotten. We have a Barry Sheen toy. Oh, wow. So and that jealous. was a gift. I want one. Very- Damn it. Can't have one. I must it's from have. 1979. It's it was the last one. Wow. That's cool. I and must it's, have. It's, it's Barry Sheen. Look right, at his hair. Baza. Right, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, does he have saying, two of the looms on? With 1979 hair. Cool, blimey, gov, you're a caution. Incha! We love Barry. <gasps> nice. <laughs> Uh, so there cool you go a gift from a very dear friend thank you jim you're very welcome so there you go um hopefully next week we can hear from knock and he can tell us his update i know that he's like i said he's he, he went for a ride and he's been back to work so we're good and solid in the go back to the fuck knock uh, sign off we're good with that he's not okay, doing any good. wheelies yet i hope <laughs> no that's good yeah i think I, i'm hoping he's growing up a little bit who knows (laughs) and hey if you're in the market for a new motorcycle i know of the crf250l the ktm 990 smt and the versus 650 that i'm all willing to sell 
is the mm. verses. And on then the Jim, block. Jim, you want to list yours? Uh, FZ six. I got the FZ six for sale, and I think that's it. Do I have anything else? And all these bikes, we've got them all um, up to date, fixed. Anything that needed to be fixed, right? Oh yeah, sorted out. So yeah. everything is sorted on them. Good bikes. Right. I'm guessing, by the way, Jim, that the FC1 is running good. Yes, I did put the FC1 through the, its paces uh, since I got it back from Emma. Gosh, it's been like six weeks ago. I just yeah. haven't been riding. I've been riding dirt all the time and not commuting to work nearly as much. So, uh, yeah. And is yeah, it, is it back hills. to running like a train? It runs like a rape ape, as some might say. That thing just rips. <laughs> it's funny, but mm. in Santa Cruz Mountains, I spend most of my time in first and second gear. Yeah, well, it means tall gearing. You've got 160 horsepower. You don't need many more. Yeah, fun bike. But yeah, it ran like a Swiss watch. And right. uh, thank you, darling. Thanks again to Todd Huffman, our guest, coming on today. Yeah, sharing the story of the he Pentons. was great. Um, I'm gonna. We've got so many great films in the Black Hills Moto Film Fest. We're gonna have three nights of films curated. Um, so I'm I'm gonna get some more people lined up to come in and talk about their films. By the way, did you guys notice? Remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about the Indonesian custom Vespa. Yes. Yes. Did you see that? CNN. Yep. Did a piece on that movie? Yep. I'm just saying. Um, hello, CNN them. journalist, if you're listening. Yeah, you scooped them by like two weeks. <laughs> exactly. So, so for everything that's scoopy in the motorcycle industry, you heard it. You heard it here You first. heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, you heard it. Thank you. I think we should say, well, I might say that. All right, Jim, yeah, and you and I got one more <laughs> week to go before we have to head out on our trip. I know. It's going to happen. It's happening. I know. I'm it is happening. I'm, I'm getting, I made a list today. So uh, I'm making a list. Final message. You check it twice. <laughs> I know. Beef jerky. That's all it says. Beef jerky and whiskey. Final mm. message. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. You guys are still coming through for us. I appreciate it so much. And um, lastly, I'm going to say... Be safe. I know it's summer. I know there's a lot of, you know, people going to the beach, people having parties, doing this and that. Be safe. Yes. Go ride. It's yes. It's, it's safe from yes. COVID. Yeah, um, yes. Be Let's careful. Those dirty humans. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And uh, thank you again, Emma, for all your help today at the garage. Oh, you're welcome. Well, uh, it's, you're going to be you're going to be at the garage next week, right? Yes. For the following week and the following week, who's going to be in charge, Liza? Knock. No, he's not. It's going to be me. <laughs> That's right. Everyone has to do exactly what I say. <laughs> Bagel. Yeah, <laughs> boy. Awesome. So, um, just don't forget to go on down to motorcyclesandmisfits.com. Check out our website and you'll find links to all sorts of things, including all of our back episodes going all the way back to episode right. Uno. And check out Misfits Uno, Uno. and Motorcycles on the YouTube, on the Tube of Views. Yeah, well, is... the Recycle Santa Cruz a YouTube uh, page and you'll find our Misfits videos where Emma gets her bearings. Oh, yes. I lost and my bearings shocker. and they spilled. My bearings spilled all over the table. But I that was that, that, that was after the shocker, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That was after the shocker. We yes. did the shocker and then the my bearings spilled all over the table. <laughs> so oh, I heard goodness. that that was uh, Spock's first uh, uh, 
thing, but then they went with uh, that. Yeah, well, this one puts you to sleep. That one's, <laughs> this one says hello. This one's a whole other thing. All right, let's wrap up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Eliza. Emma Darling. Bagel. Scott. Naked Jim, son. Hey, you're getting good at it. Let's get out of here. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. cool.